Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN. That's the Survival Podcast Network headquarters. And let me tell you folks, uh, just a little thing on the weather here. Uh, I don't talk about it a lot, but once in a while you do that because you guys are friends and friends talk about the weather. I'm glad to be high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line. I'm also to live, uh, happy to live high up in the Washita Mountains uh, right now because uh, we've had about 16 straight hours of fairly heavy rainfall and we have flash floods going on in the area. Nobody's in town. It's like the whole town flooded out or anything like that. You probably won't see it on national news, but... We do have spot flash flooding, and we have quite a bit more rain to go before we're done, so uh, it's a good time to be on high ground. On that note, you know, um, things can happen in the economy that you can look at like a flood. Right, uh, like, you know, right now, Ben Bernanke's on a big PR campaign. He's joined Twitter. I put out a little Facebook post about that today to see what you guys think about it, and he's telling everybody how the Fed is good and, you know, honest money would be bad going to gold and silver, specifically gold standard would be bad, and... Um, uh, just a typical uh, bureaucratic uh, propaganda. And there's a reason for this, because people are starting to make an impact. You don't resist an attack until you, you are feeling the attack, right? So the, the Fed and the federal government both are feeling the fact that people are becoming dissatisfied with the way that they're doing things. And people are becoming dissatisfied because I think we can all look forward into the future. We can see a day of reckoning that I talk about all the time, and it doesn't look good. Well, I've got a guy that's going to come on today named Chris Dwayne, uh, who is the founder of quite a few things I'll tell you about in just a second. But uh, he's really a big, honest money guy. He believes in something called constitutional silver. And I mention that with flood because when the economy blows up and turns into a flood of misery, you know, this might be one life preserver to grab onto. More on that in a bit, though. Let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors before I introduce Chris. Sponsor of the day number one today, coincidentally, and it really is a coincidence, I didn't plan it this way, silverandgoldshop.com. Chris is going to tell you he's all in on silver and thinks you should be too. I don't know about that, but I do think... A minimum of five to ten percent of your net wealth should be held in silver and gold. I think it's a it's an excellent hedge. I think silver's the safer play, and uh, silverandgoldshop.com's got some really unique products to invest in silver with, and some things that are really good at evangelical products. And I don't mean evangelical in the religious sense. I mean it just in the the verbal sense uh, as an action. And what I mean is that there's some really cool coins there that you could hand to some of your nieces and nephews and grandkids and stuff like that when you have these holiday get-togethers and birthdays and stuff like that that you could use to teach them about how the value of real money should increase in the future and how their value as children will increase as they grow. It's a great little analogy. And if you don't think kids like getting really cool, shiny silver coins, you've never given one to one. The first time I gave one to my niece, Meyer, she bounced from one end of the house to the other. Um, you know, kids that they have so much plastic crap. They don't need more of it. Even if you want to get them something like that, maybe making this an additional thing would be a good thing as well. And also belongs in your portfolio. Again, silverandgoldshop.com with great service from the wonderful Mary Beth Maidmont. Next up today, harvesteating.com. Chef Keith Snow, of course, has been a sponsor going into his second year with us now. He teaches you to cook seasonally and locally. And, you know, kind of a special analysis.
announcement. Uh, Roll Free Delivery TV, beginning May 1st, Chef Keith will have his own on-TV television show. So that's kind of a success story for one of our sponsors, and you can help keep that success going along by getting over to HarvestEating.com, maybe buying his book, maybe becoming a member. If nothing else, buy some of his seasoning. Uh, my favorites are the uh, Northern Italian and the steak seasoning, but all of them are really great. I use the uh, grilled chicken as uh, part of my uh, Spirico Killer uh, wings that go in the oven. I'll have to tell you guys how to make those someday, uh, but uh, not today because we're talking about silver and gold today. But get on over to Harvest Eating, and he'll and Chef Keith Snow will teach you to keep, cook again, cook seasonally and locally. And specifically, a lot of the stuff I talk about growing that maybe you don't find in your typical supermarket, and you'll learn what to do with that too. Next up, remember you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. I do occasionally put things out there that don't get on the show. I just mentioned I put out kind of a little post, a micro post on the Fed and uh, Ben Bernanke's PR campaign and joining Twitter and all that to see what people think. I think that's gone pretty well. Uh, so get involved with our community at another level by joining us on those social media outlets. You can link to them all from the survivalpodcast.com. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You get discounts to over 32 vendors now, and I'm working on another one as we speak. For you guys, you get over $150 worth of free ebooks. Those that uh, participated in the contest yesterday to get a uh, $25 rate, uh, I put out a, a few of those. Uh, I don't remember how many I did, but they, they sold out pretty daggone quick. They didn't see midnight, so that little thing from yesterday is over. Maybe we'll do it again from time to time, but don't let that hold you back. It's a great deal at $50 bucks, uh, for a year. Again, that comes out of $0.20 cents an episode. Military, Law Enforcement, Peace Corps, Active Duty, and Prior Service. Please send me an email to jack at the survivalpodcast.com before you join with something like military discount or service discount in the subject line, and I will get back to you with a special discount code uh, to thank you for your service. Just include a little bit of details about your service, either who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did in the past. All right, with that, I've got the housekeeping wrapped up, and it's my uh, pleasure right now to introduce one of, I think you're going to agree, one of the most interesting guests that we've ever had, a guy that's done a tremendous amount of work and makes most of that work work available at no cost to people simply to educate them. Um, I'm going to tell you before I give you his story that I am not 100% uh, lockstep with, uh, with Chris because he advocates this all-in approach to silver, and I don't. That doesn't mean I don't think he's, he hasn't provided a tremendous resource and an excellent viewpoint, and you might lean more toward his side of the spectrum than me. I definitely think that what he's doing, he's doing because he believes in it, and the research he's done is second to nobody else, and it has me thinking that maybe it is time for me to increase my holdings a bit again, maybe not 100%. I think that that is the mark of somebody that has an open mind, that you remain fluid and you think about what you're doing. In the end, you make your own decisions, but you remain open to the fact that there might be other ways to get things done. Uh, now, let me tell you a little bit about Chris. He really is an interesting guy. He's the founder of the Sons of Liberty Academy, along with The Greatest Truth Never Told. And he also runs a blog called Don't Tread On .me. And it's actually don't hyphen tread hyphen on .me. Don't worry, folks. I'll put a link to it in the show notes down in the resources section. Anyway, uh, he, 
this this blog is dedicated to educating people, and his other systems are educated dedicated to educating people about our flawed monetary system. How he got to that point, though, is more interesting story as far as I'm concerned. Chris's family had seven car dealerships in New Jersey uh, as part of the Wayne Auto Group, and he was doing quite well in corporate America. However, in 2005, he sold his house at the top of New Jersey's housing bubble, uh, smarter than most folks, I guess, and went all in on gold, silver, and oil. Uh, then in 2007, he was offered the opportunity to join a board uh, of directors with the Heritage Community Bank, but he turned it down and told all the partners they were, quote, uh, nuts to be starting a bank in the current cycle. So then in 2008, he sold everything. He walks away from his inheritance to get out of the area. And ironically, just three months before the uh, car business imploded is when he made a decision. Later in 2009, he began helping people to do foreclosure investing, but later quit doing that. In 2007, he went to focus full-time on the dollar collapse. His first action in warning about the pending dollar collapse was the foundation of the Sons of Liberty Academy to help people learn what he uncovered as in the past six years of study and real-life application of his principles. He later founded Don't Tread on Me to bring attention to the Academy. Chris is now consulting with the Silver Shield Report and putting out an updated version of the Academy called The Greatest Truth Never Told. He's here to talk to us today about constitutional silver and the role it can play in ensuring your future. Hey, Chris, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, how are you? I'm great, man. Hey, I, I love what you're doing, and uh, but you're using a term that I haven't heard a lot before. Uh, with what, what you're, what you're working on and then the silver, uh, side of things. And that is constitutional silver. Uh, what is constitutional silver and exactly how does that work? Well, um, actually the kind of, it came out of a discussion with uh, a guy that I, I work with, um, where, uh, pre-1965, 90% silver coins, which is what we've always had, at, at, you know, in our, in our, uh, in our money, you know, these, uh, you know, old quarters, dimes, half dollars, um, and unfortunately, there's been a, a term associated with it called junk silver. And, um, you know, I just felt it was one of these, uh, you know, psychological weapons to steer people away from this, much like the way that they use assault rifle to steer people away from their Second Amendment right to protect themselves. Um, so we got, a, we got thinking and I said, we have to change the name uh, to something other than junk silver because it's not. It's, it's our... It's our constitutional-based money. I mean, uh, if you look in the Constitution, the dollar is defined by the amount of grams of silver it has in it, not this Federal Reserve note. So every chance I get, I, I try to you know, drop the constitutional silver out there to get people to think of um, you know, the, the ramifications of owning real physical silver and how important it is to freedom. So um, we've made a very special effort to stop saying junk silver and, and replace that with constitutional silver. I'd like to get your thoughts on something. I have said repeatedly on my show that when people talk about an economic default of the United States, we've actually economically defaulted quite a few times. Yes. And that one of the times we defaulted was when we went from silver coin to, let's call it fiat coin. Mm -hmm. And it was actually a default. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, the history behind that is um, is – that uh well first of all it's always been in our, our money. Um I think the actual dollar actually came from the term Thaler, um and that's an older coin and we actually used the uh, Span Spanish pieces of eight. Uh, Correct. As, the original when it says dollar in the constitution it <clears throat> refers to a Spanish silver coin. Yeah. Um so it's always been the backbone of our of our currency. Uh the first time that it uh, was uh taken out of our money was actually in eighteen seventy three. 
Um, and that's probably one of the first major defaults, but it was, it wasn't necessarily a default as much as a, um, a political way that the bankers used to, um, steal more wealth from the Americans. So if you understand that we were on a bimetallic standard, um, back in, you know, the late 1800s, um, and we used silver and gold as money and that they had a fixed relationship, uh, in 1873, they actually demonetized silver. So much so that um, all the debt that was still there uh, could no longer be paid back in silver coin um, and only had to be paid back in gold coin. Well, who do you think owns all the gold? You know, the bankers, the, the wealthy. Um, silver is money for the people because it was much more common um, out there. So when they demonetized that silver, it led to 10 years of probably the worst economic conditions this country has ever faced. And it's something nobody has ever written about. Um, and it was called the the, the um, crime of 1873. Um, and I, I'm going to tell something to most people that they don't you know they don't know. Um, if you look at the uh, the creation of the Wizard of Oz, you know here's this very famous movie and book uh, that sp- spans back. Um, it's actually a monetary allegory about the crime of 1873, um, and it talks about how um, Dorothy, whose uh, shoes in the book were actually silver shoes not these ruby red shoes that the Hollywood put on there, um, were uh, to represent the silver coin. Um, and that was her salvation. And she didn't know that it was with her all along and that the Yellow Brick Road actually represented the gold standard. And there was a lot of other, um, you know, allegories that they were brought in there. But, the you know, it's, it's interesting that the, the Wizard of Oz is actually a, um, a tale of how dangerous it is for us to, you know, steer away from this. You know, I've heard that before, and I've heard people object to it because the author, of course, never stated that that was the case. Mm-hmm. But when you look at all the all the allegories in there, the yeah. Tin Man representing the industry, and the Scarecrow representing the farmer, and the like you said, like as soon as and when they made the movie, mm-hmm. they switched it to ruby slippers. Yep. And the minute you do that, the whole thing just. But when, in the Emerald City was the you know, green for the dollar, and don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. The whole thing. It's almost impossible to make the case that it isn't, and if it if it was not in the author's mind, it's the most spectacular series of coincidences ever. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so yeah, I mean that that's part of it. Um, but the most recent um, default or the actual demonetization of silver was in uh, 1965, uh, the year after JFK was killed. And um, if you look behind that. Um, you know, we, we've seen all these, you know, conspiracy theories, you know, why he was killed and was it the Cubans? Was it the mobsters? I think the most, uh, you know, most, uh, most logical way of the reason why he was killed is the same reason why so many other presidents have been assassinated and had to do with him altering the monetary power of the United States. And if you look up Executive Order 11110, um, it was actually a way that the uh, president used uh, the silver that we had in, uh, during, you know, back then to back, uh, non-debt based money. So if we know that the Federal Reserve is, uh, you know, prints debt based money, uh, they don't print money out of thin air. They print the debt first and then you have to pay that back plus interest over and over again and it constantly grows. Um, Executive Order 111110, uh, um, uh, allowed the Treasury to produce debt free Treasury notes backed by the physical silver that we had in inventory. Um, and within a few months of him actually doing that and him saying that he was going to shut down the military-industrial complex in Vietnam, 
boom, the guy's gone. And within, you know, as soon as Johnson took over, you look exactly what happened in our history. Uh, the Vietnam War escalated and our money and our silver was taken out of our coins, uh, thereby impoverishing us to more debt, uh, debt creation. And we've lost so much wealth and power since then, so much so that um, I've seen um, statistics saying that since the late 60s, um, the average American has actually lost real wealth um, since they've demonetized that silver out of our coin. Maybe we should call it the crime of 1965. Because <laughs> um, what, it, what, it, what it makes, intrigues me is that in 1873, they demonetized silver. They did not demonetize gold. It wasn't like they left the gold standard. And, and like you said, the bankers were holding the gold because it held a large store of value, and the common man was holding the silver because it represented the small daily transaction value. Is, is that mentality part of why you focus so heavily on silver today versus gold? Well, um, there's actually a, I've done a huge series called The Silver Bullet and The Silver Shield on YouTube, um, and I think I'm up to 18 videos, and it's almost two hours long, on all of the reasons why people should be buying silver. Um, I'm personally 100% physically invested in silver. I own no other assets but physical silver, um, and I have, it. you know, you've always been brought up with, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. I tell you what, when you start looking at all of the reasons why you should be owning physical silver and the opportunity and the liberty that it represents, I can't think of anything else other than silver to be buying. Um, but, you know, I kind of, I always get the question, you know, why silver over gold? And I'll give you a pretty simple mathematical reason why. Um, currently, the gold to silver ratio, I, first of all, I, I, I am not of the belief that we should be valuing assets based off of the dollar. The dollar is an awful representative tool of that measuring wealth. It's a, a totally manipulated elastic rubber band that only benefits the bankers. Um, so if you can't use the dollar to value things, I, I use a thing called ratio investing. Um, and all it does is it simply takes the value, uh, paper, dollar value of one asset and compare it to the dollar value of the other asset. And you're really taking the dollar out of the equation and really measuring one asset versus another. So the most simple one that I think is most commonly used is the gold to silver ratio. Currently, right now, it takes about 50 ounces of gold to buy one ounce of, or 50 ounces of silver to buy one ounce of gold. And if you look through all of the history of the gold to silver ratio and understand that when it comes out of the ground, this is the 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 ratio of of God putting it into the earth and us mining out of it. Um, that ratio is actually a 10 to 1, meaning for every one ounce of gold that's ever found, uh, approximately 10 ounces, actually a little less, um, of silver are found. So the main reason why I invest in silver over gold um, is because that the uh, silver is relatively cheap to gold right now, regardless what the dollar value is. I think um, the dollar value of assets are really... Um, you know, a poor value to do because the dollar is mathematically going to collapse. It will no longer serve as a unit of measurement when we default on this on this uh, the amount of total debt that we have on there, um, and that we have to start valuing uh, silver in a different way. Um, so, by understanding that it's it takes 50 ounces of silver to buy one ounce of gold, but it comes out of the ground at a 10 to 1 ratio. That says to me, regardless what the dollar value of gold goes to, whether it goes to 2,000, 10,000, you know, 100,000, you know, a bazillion, like in, uh, you know, in uh, Zimbabwe or Weimar, Germany, in a hyperinflation, the relative purchasing power of that silver should outperform gold by 500% as it seeks its natural balance 
of getting down from 50 to 1 to 10 to 1. And that to me is very powerful. But I go along in the silver bullet and the silver shield to say that uh, we all know intrinsically that all the gold that's ever been mined throughout all of history has been treasured. I mean, we, we just implicitly know this. Um, and that is, you know, rarely lost, rarely used in uh, industry. It's always been treasured. It's in some form in existence and it's been taken care of. But the same can't be said with, with silver. Since the crime of 1873, silver has more or less been destroyed as an industrial metal and used and abused in such small quantities and thrown away in such, you know, toxic landfills all over the world. You know, with, you think about it, you know, cell phones and computers and gadgets, they all have, you know, micro ounces or tenths of an ounces of silver. And it's not really feasible to recycle it. So what do we do? We throw it away because it's so cheap. Um, so if we know intrinsically all the gold that's ever been mined has been taken care of, and almost 95% of the silver that's ever been mined has been really just thrown away, and the amount of uh, stockpiles that are out there in the world are gone, uh, I can make a very strong case that the gold-to-silver ratio right now should be one-to-one, meaning that if gold's trading at $1,700 an ounce, well, that's what silver should be. And that's regardless of what the dollar value is. So, um, you know, and I go through all of this in my Silver Bullet and the Silver Shield video wow. series. But it's a very compelling argument, I think. That's an interesting way to look at it. I've simplified it a little bit more and using the dollars of value. And I've said that there's, because of the ratio, there's only two conclusions one can draw. Um, and we could, I think you and I both look at the, the end result of the economy. But let's say between now and then, mm-hmm. uh, and the value of, of, of silver and gold against the currency, that either there's there's only two ways this works out. Either gold is overpriced, which I don't think it is, but either it is, mm-hmm. and therefore silver's too low, or gold is, or, or I mean gold is overpriced, and then therefore silver's safer. Let's mm-hmm. say, or the gold is fairly priced and silver's too low. Mm-hmm. And there's only those two conclusions that can be drawn. Yep. So you actually are talking about creating a free community based on silver on your blog, your website. Um, how do you imagine that actually occurring? Where and how and what does it look like when you imagine it? Okay, so I, I put together this kind of forward-thinking uh, video series called The Ultimate Exit Strategy. I'm, I'm very big in, in videos because I spent a year writing a ton of articles, and uh, the articles would get a lot of play, but the shelf life of most articles is a day or two. Uh, whereas a video series, you know, you put kind of put it out there in these podcasts that they have a life of their own where people – you know, go back and find it and find one thing and then look for the all the other stuff. So I put this ultimate exit strategy video series out there, and it's just a three-minute vid- or three-series, uh, three-video series. And the idea is, okay, um, I've we've we've educated people on the value of silver. The people that have invested in silver, to me, everybody I've talked to is um, very caring, thoughtful individuals who have taken a great deal amount of effort to. Uh, extricate themselves from a financial paradigm that seeks to enslave them. Buying physical silver is a f- mental challenge like no other, uh, because all of our lives we've been brought up to think that we have to have, you know, your 401k, your IRA, you have to go buy some stocks because everybody else is doing that and keep cash in the bank and keep cash under your bed and all that other type stuff. And all of those assets to me all suffer from the f- same fundamental lie that you can get something for nothing and that all paper assets have counterparty risk. Um, meaning that its value is derived off of the ability of somebody else making good on a promise, and and that goes for a stock. You know, if the if the CEO of the company is a you know a thieving criminal, um, you you have a counterparty risk with him because we've had Enrons. Um, even the dollars that you have, you have a counterparty risk with Ben Bernanke and, and Obama 
because if Obama spends more money into the economy uh, and creates more debt, that lessens the value of the dollar. Uh, if Ben Bernanke goes on and continues to spend uh, $16 trillion in behind-the-scene bailouts, uh, that lessens the value of the dollar. And that, um, at the end of the day, all you can really rely upon in this paradigm um, and that the wealth is going to shift to is real tangible assets. Um, so when, I, when you look at it, um, you know, real tangible assets would include commodities and food and guns and tools and all that other stuff. But if you're going to invest a serious amount of money, um, you have to really just look at precious metals because most other things have uh, storage issues or, um, you know, you, you really you really can't keep, you know, uh, a whole bunch of oil or, you know, in your backyard or stuff like that. It's kind of tough. So uh, precious metals tend to be the best. Um, and, and silver to me is the best at all. And I, and I've spent a great deal amount of time educating people. And I said, well, knowing that we're going to have this mathematically inevitable collapse, knowing that we have, you know, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people who have gotten out of, uh, this paradigm, what can we do as a collective community, knowing that we're going to see a tremendous amount of wealth, real wealth, uh, be transferred to those that got ahead of the curve uh, divested themselves of the paper assets, got into uh, tangible assets before the largest transfer of wealth, the, you know, the single largest event in human history, which is going to be the collapse of the dollar. What is this small little group of people going to do? And when I've started to talk to the people that have you know, joined my Silver Shield report and gone through the Sons of Liberty Academy and gone through all these Truth Never Told videos on YouTube, um, I find that there's a lot of people out there like me, and I, I, I'm excited by the fact that um, these are thoughtful individuals. They're very caring individuals. Uh, they, they've spent a lot of great intellectual amount of time doing this, and uh, I believe when this all goes down, uh, every single ounce of silver is going to represent a lottery ticket in terms of real tangible value. Um, we're going to have a very thoughtful, caring, uh, intelligent, constitutionally-based a community that's going to be incredibly uh, powerful and rich uh, in their own right. And we all know that we're, we're, we're capable of creating our own paradigm. Like right now I could go off to, you know, Montana and go buy a ranch and, you know, be totally independent of the system if I, if I, if I wanted to. But what could a group of people um, with the idea of, uh, you know, creating a community based off of something that resonates with us, um, what could we do? So I started to explore that in the ultimate exit strategy, and uh, it's not without reason that we couldn't uh, buy land, uh, have a loyal title to it, meaning that we wouldn't uh, be responsible for property tax on it, um, that we'd be able to negotiate with uh, you know either states, counties, uh, local towns to buy property, um, and since they'll be desperate for real tangible wealth, uh, I'm pretty sure that we'll be able to secure uh, you know good pieces of land uh, when the paradigm ends uh, for our silver and be able to, you know, set about creating a sustainable community that's based on the principles that, you know, resonate with us, mainly the Constitution and honest money and, and uh, you know, no forced, uh, you know, servitude and stuff like that. So we've spent a great deal amount of time building this intellectual foundation um, before this uh, paradigm happens and uh, after, um, you know, what we know is coming, um, I firmly believe that we're going to be able to do something, you know, absolutely tremendous in, in, in human society. What do you say to the person that says, well, this sounds like a utopian pipe dream that, mm -hmm. you know, that they're, that they're even going to allow this stuff to happen? I mean, 
part of why I'm willing to say that it is possible mm -hmm. is that I believe that most of the people doing this damage are going to leave. Mm -hmm. And they're going to leave us holding the bag. Is there some of that in your viewpoint? or? Well, the way I look at it right now is that this paradigm is so powerful. Like, you know, I've had a lot of people say, okay, Chris, this is a great idea. Let's go buy some land and let's do something now. And I said, no. Why? You know, first of all, our, our silver is vastly undervalued. And the guys that we would be fighting against are incredibly powerful. I mean, there's a, a million agencies out there that would, uh, you know, control and stop and, you know, throw roadblocks and you end up in court and all that other stuff because this paradigm is based off of that. But when this paradigm ends, all that power is gone. Um, you're going to see power uh, devolve down to not a more centralized world government. It's going to devolve down to the most local and responsive level, so much so that there's going to be mayors, county officials that are going to have more power over your daily life and more responsible to your to your uh to your uh to to you um as our presidents and 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 uh these you know international bankers and all that other stuff because when it, it's clearly shown that whenever a currency collapses along with that goes with all that power um and there's going to be such uh, upheaval uh in society that um those that created this problem are going to be running for their lives um, so, you know, any, you know, these Department of Homeland Securities and, and the SEC, who's totally blown, uh, you know, watching over and regulating Wall Street and, you know, all these very powerful billionaire bankers on Wall Street, they're going to be running for their lives they're, and they're going to not going to have the kind of influence that they have over us now. Um, so given that fact that the power that exists that we're really kind of fighting against is going to just completely uh, lose all of its power because it won't have the ability to print money and that people won't accept it because uh, it has no value uh, because of this mathematically inevitable collapse. Um, and knowing that power is going to devolve down to the most local and responsive level, I'm very positive that we could go to a place like New Hampshire or North Carolina or Montana or Idaho or you know one of these you know states that have a lot more freedom-loving people in it um, and be able to to uh, you know purchase land, negotiate, uh, create uh, create a paradigm, um, and then after that, you know, once you own property outright, once you have the ability of of cutting deals, um, you know, to to get uh, you know property like that. And I studied a lot of this in, in the collapse of the Soviet Russia. I mean, after the Soviet ruble collapsed, um, the rise of the oligarchs, these guys were able to you know, get such tremendous amount of wealth for pennies on the dollar because nobody had real capital. Um, so here we are. And is it the case that they used silver and gold? or No, no, they, no. They arbitraged to the dollar? Yeah, that was a, that, that's a lot murkier thing. Um, and um, if you look at the history of it, there's a lot of uh, very young 23-year-old, 26-year-old uh, Russian Jews that uh, were able to get hard capital. Back then it was dollars and Deutschmarks. Um, to go into Russia to buy uh, the the crown jewels of the Russian Empire, namely the gas and oil and aircraft manufacturing and the GM's equivalent there and all the broadcasting rights. Um, and if you look back into that, um, these young 23-year-old guys weren't really bright and creative and that they just you know happened upon you know billions of dollars worth of wealth. They were frontmen for much richer uh, and more powerful bankers, namely the Rothschilds. Uh, who were able to supply them with the quote-unquote hard currency of the dollar and the Deutschmark back when there was no local currency and that the ruble was worth nothing. So, so what stops them from doing that in America? What stops them from doing what FDR did by seizing the gold and saying, great, you have all that silver, guys, yep. so just take that away from you? Yep. 
Uh, well, first of all, I think that um, number one, they don't even understand um, that the 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 answer is silver right now. Uh, I really believe that since this this paradigm has existed for you know she's almost eighty ninety years since the founding of the Federal Reserve in nineteen thirteen, uh, all these Ken, Keynesian economics and and uh, tinkerers and and technocrats and central bankers really believe that if they print just enough money and move just enough economic levers. Um, that they will be able to, um, you know, provide, you know, this economic utopia. Um, so, like, cutting to the chase, you're saying they believe their own bullshit. Yes. Okay. Um, and now think about this. So I constantly get this. And, and, and to me, this is such a lame excuse not to buy silver. People are like, oh, they're going to um, confiscate it. Okay. Well, let's look at the FDR example. So in 1934, FDR, um, you know, said that, uh, we're going to confiscate all the gold in the United States, and it was illegal to own more than, I think, five ounces, and, and that all, all American citizens were to go down to their local Federal Reserve Bank, and I'm sure most of your listeners know that the Federal Reserve is a privately owned bank and has nothing to do with the federal government, um, and to hand over their uh, real gold, um, but it wasn't confiscated. It wasn't like, uh, you know, here, we're just going to seize your wealth and not pay you for it. Um, so the misnomer is that even in the 1934 example of, of uh, FDR making gold illegal, they paid those people face value. And back then it was worth $20 an ounce. So they got a $20 Federal Reserve note. So there, you know, to the average American back then, it was a, it was an even swap. You know, do I really want a gold heavy coin or can I just get this piece of paper that represents the same amount of value? Um, but the trick of the matter is that, uh, you know, within a year later after this happened, um, they revalued that so that uh, I think it was a eighty percent overnight. Uh, it was about it was about thirty five dollars. It was yeah. the actual value of of, of gold that they revalued evident that. by the end of the year. So it went from twenty. You got twenty bucks, and they got thirty five dollars worth of your gold. Yep. Um, and uh, the the penalties were very severe for not following this. And you know, I mean, I think it was up to to uh, ten years of uh, of prison if you didn't comply. So I say to people, name one person that actually spent 10 years in jail for not uh, turning in their gold. And do you really think that there was 100% compliance in people turning in gold? I mean, I, I know for a fact there wasn't because yeah. my grandmother had a jar of coins and she called it the jar the bastards didn't get. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, yeah, absolutely. So, and, and let's flash forward this today. Um, there, there, silver is, um, is so small in comparison to the amount of real wealth out there, even if they confiscated all the silver, like like on the Comex right now, that's the largest stockpile of physical silver that's available to be sold, and I think it's 32 million ounces. And at today's current price, that would represent $1 billion. Okay? The United States government spends more than that in probably about 20 minutes funding our government. Um, so even if they, they confiscated that silver, in this paradigm, it means nothing. Okay, so the only time that it's going to be value as something is after the dollar collapses. Well, what other things are going to be going on at the exact same time that now all of a sudden silver's worth a lot more? Um, we're going to have starvation, riots, uh, blood in the street from people being pissed off that their entire life savings has been taken away. And do you think the government's going to have a lot bigger problems on their hands, especially because we're this world global superpower uh, and that we're no longer going to be able to support a trillion dollar military industrial complex that spreads all over the world? Uh, and do you think that there's going to be also some other problems in, say, Iran and the Gulf and 
China establishing dominance over the, the over Asia and Russia and Venezuela, all these other things. The world is going to be a huge mess. So what would they do? You know, are they going to send SWAT teams to to people's houses uh, <laughs> that you know over a couple of coins that may or not may not be there? And then think about the people that own this stuff. Um, everybody that I know that owns silver, they're pretty much, uh, you know, they have a lot of guns. They're pretty smart. Um, and the, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure if somebody showed up to the door and said, where's all your silver? would be like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. And, you know, yeah. what are they going to do? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, in fact, you, uh, you have a post on your blog about kind of the worst places to be during the collapse, and you contrast that with maybe some of the better places to be. Uh, do you think that it's, it's getting around like-minded people, getting out of the urban sprawl, all of the above, mm-hmm. uh, states with more liberty? And I mean, but you're not advocating the move now. You're advocating being prepared for the move at a certain time? Uh, well, all right. So I did this video, Top 5 Places Not to Be When the Dollar Collapses, and this is on YouTube, and it's uh, you know it's got some legs on it. I think we got like 40,000 views on it or, or whatever. And um, the, the idea of the video is really to say that the, the places of the world that have benefited most from the dollar paradigm are going to be the worst places to be when the dollar collapses. And the idea behind that is um, that like places like um, New York City is, a, is an easy example. Here it is, the center of Wall Street. All the wealth of the world and most of America gets brought into New York. Um, and that, that, that area is extremely wealthy, but it's also incredibly dependent upon uh, the dollar paradigm. And that when the dollar collapses, not only is the wealth that the, the, the local community is worth uh, used to coming in uh, disappears, but think about how uh, unprepared the millions of people that live in that paradigm um, are to a dollar collapse. I mean, you know, do you, I, I know people that live in New York City who don't even have three days worth of food in their in their pantries and rely upon the local Chinese delivery um, to feed them on a daily basis. And I can tell you what, when the dollar dies, uh, food and energy is going to stop flowing. And you know, you, do you really want to be in the middle of Manhattan when the dollar dies? The electricity goes out. There's probably no hope for the electricity to come back on anytime soon. Uh, food and fuel gets uh, shut off, and you're surrounded by eight million people who are known to be very aggressive people. Um, and when they're most desperate, and I can tell you, folks, there's going to be a lot of areas of this world that are just going to be the wrong place to be the day the dollar dies. And if you do live in one of those areas right now, you need to get out. I did. I lived in the most affluent area in New Jersey, uh, and I left in May of 2008, just prior to the collapse of um, the in, in October of 2008. And uh, I moved out to the you know country bumpkin fields of Ohio, and um, it's been the smartest move, mainly because I thought in 2008 it was all going to go down. Um, but I can tell you what, all the resources that we spent in keeping that system going in 2008, the Political bailouts, the financial bailouts, the you know the faith that people still have in the system—it's all gone, folks. I mean, we're four and a half years after this uh, collapse, and um, none of the problems that have caused that collapse have been solved. We've blown through all of our safety nets, um, and this time, instead of worrying about large uh, institutions and banks going down, we're worried about nas- nations going down. Um, and there's nowhere else to kick the can up the road, folks. So. 
I, I, I really recommend if you live in any urban area, I don't care where it is, you need to start considering getting out now uh, while the while the system still works, while you still can move money around, while you can still get assets out of there, uh, and move to areas where you have friends and family um, that are out of these major metropolitan areas of people who are going to become incredibly uh, <laughs> crazy when this all goes down. So you are advocating moving now, but you're not advocating the purchase of land right now. No, I, I like the the idea to me. Uh, so are you a renter? I mean, are you? No, saying- no, no. Yep. So here, here's another video I did. I did uh, top thirty reasons to get out of real estate and into real tangible assets. So I go on to this whole big reason why buying real estate is really a bad idea right now. Um, but I I preface I, I I poach this question by saying um, this does not mean that you shouldn't be buying a house right now. And I, I'll give you an example. So I moved. Um, I actually sold my house at the top of the housing bubble in New Jersey uh, in 2005 and rented uh, for three three years um, while I invested uh, all the proceeds of that uh, property uh, into physical silver back in 2005. So when it came time for me to physically move again, I said, okay, well, what do I want to do now? So I moved to a, an area where, which I feel is uh, going to be economically uh, sustainable, meaning that we have a lot of farms around here. We have a lot of water. We have a lot of people who, you know, look like me, who own a lot of guns, who have good values, blue collar area. Um, and I said, um, do I really want to be renting during a uh, collapse scenario? Do I want to be subject to moving my family and wealth during that time period? And I, and I said, no, uh, I'm a big believer that um, in order to prepare properly, you need to have a castle to defend. So while I'm opposed to investing in property um, commercially or investment reasons, and I made a 30-point video about not to invest in, in uh, um, investment property right now, uh, I am a proponent of buying uh, your own castle, so to speak. And the reason for that is because I believe at the end of the day that this paradigm, we are going to suffer from a hyperinflationary depression. And what that simply means is that we have a debt-based currency and that every year, or actually almost every day, we need to create more debt um, in excess of the debt and interest accrued the day before, the month before, and the year before, or the system suffers the mother of all margin calls. Um, and that deflationary crash is not something that benefits anybody, including the elite. The result is that we have to create more debt and interest every year in excess of the debt, or we have to create more debt money every year in excess of the debt and interest accrued the year before. And that's why if you look at our national debt charts, our student debt charts, our consumer debt charts, our local government credit card, all these charts look like they're hockey sticks, like they're going straight up to the moon. That is the reason for this exponential growth in wealth. Well, the more debt and money that's put out there, the less those dollars are worth. Um, so I believe that at the end of this financial paradigm, we're going to see uh, so much wealth or so many, so many dollars created that it's going to destroy the value of those dollars. And I can point to testimony from Alan Greenspan basically saying the same thing. I can show you books that uh, Ben Bernanke talked about, about dropping money out of helicopters to actually force inflation upon the system. These guys are hell-bent on creating inflation. Well, if we understand what a hyperinflation does, um, it actually benefits those who are in debt. Um, so if you do have a mortgage, say a $100,000 mortgage on a house, um, that, that $100,000 worth of debt will become worth nothing compared to the amount of money that's out there. And you can point to Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe, in the um, only a couple of years ago, their Zimbabwe dollar was equivalent to our dollar. But when they went through their hyperinflation, they were, you could spend $10 billion Zimbabwe dollars to get two eggs. 
So the idea is that in hyperinflation, the food that's in your refrigerator will actually be worth more than the entire mortgage that you have. The big factor that most people don't or need to understand is that um, in order for you to pay off that mortgage that, that's worth nothing, you need to have real tangible assets that will increase in value during that time period. Um, and since most of my wealth is in physical silver, I plan on one day taking a few ounces of silver and getting the note, the mortgage, to my house and paying it off with a few ounces of silver as silver becomes tremendously valuable, but the debt the 30-year mortgage at 3.9% financing um, will be uh, worth nothing because um, it's a fixed term. Uh, and that and that's what I would recommend for, and at least that's what I'm doing. So you're saying that mortgages will become a rapidly depreciating asset. Yes. Even now, I mean, think about it. <laughs> it we have 30-year mortgages for 3.9% financing. I mean, I remember when you could get three-year financing on a car for 39 That was a good deal. Now you're yep. telling me in the, you can borrow money for 30 years at 39 when we all know that inflation's running at 8 9 10%. We actually have negative interest rates on property right now. It actually, it's crazy because you think about this. They've done that. And they still can't get the housing market to move. Which is why I want people to watch this 30 Reasons to Get Out of Real Estate and Into Real Assets video on YouTube. Uh, And it's on Truth Never Told um, channel on on YouTube. Um, Because there's so many more factors that still um, have not been resolved since the 2008 crisis. There's the shadow inventory where the banks haven't even begun to foreclose upon properties because there's there's this problem with the MERS system, the Mortgage Electronic Registration System, where there's no even clear title to to who owns the properties, and that there's no that's because they were cut up and recut up and repackaged and recut up, and you, you know, each bank owns one piece of the. And how do you foreclose now? You're right because the foreclosure has to prove ownership to the floor closee. Mm-hmm. So there are people using that basically saying you're not getting any money and you're not getting my house. Yep. And a couple of places it's been done successfully. Yeah, for four years I saw this article about this one couple. Uh, who's been living in their $1.5 million mansion, um, and they haven't paid any mortgage payment in four years simply because they know that the property has been, you know, tranched and, re, you know, resold out there. Um, and so long as that they pay their property taxes so the state doesn't confiscate their property, so long as they pay their utility bills so that the, the power doesn't get shut off, the banks can go take a, you know, a flying leap. Um, so that that's what's happening, and as a result, we have millions of people um, who you know may not be using this tactic, but you know they, the banks won't touch these properties, and it's it, this is going to take a huge long time to to uh, to to fix, and is a major reason why I would not want to invest in in uh, uh, investment property right now because you know, geez, you buy a home and you're not even sure that you're going to be the clear owner of it because the guy who sold it doesn't even know who. Holds the mortgage. It's it's a big mess right now. So you're advocating buy a home for yourself, but do not use real estate as an investment. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. It's pretty much where I'm at with it too. Yep. Uh, I might buy myself two houses, so I have one to go to if the other one gets burned down. But mm-hmm. but it's it's for personal use. Mm-hmm. Um, you also let's kind of shift gears a little bit. You talk a lot, and I was reading your blog and listening to some of your videos and all. And by the way, folks, I'll have links to all of uh, all of these sites and, and videos in the show notes today. 
But you, one of the terms I hear you use is highest and best self. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that, and why do you stress that so much? I mean, you're like a financial guy <laughs> talking about silver and money and how to make wealth out for the collapse. But you know, you're worried about things like how do people achieve you know that higher and better self yep. in their everyday lives, and how does that relate to survival? Because that's obviously something this audience is very concerned with: their survival. Yeah. So, I mean, this this whole the the video series I've been putting on YouTube is called The Greatest Truth Never Told. And simply to me, the greatest truth never told is that humanity for 6,000 years has been in one form or another enslaved. Um, and that there's been this teeny group of people at the top that have controlled and manipulated societies, uh, many different flavors, many different ways over and over again. Um, and that humanity really hasn't reached its highest and best self because we have these social predator, megalomaniac, sociopathic, uh, power hungry, uh, you know, people who constantly, uh, you know, are attracted to power, gain power, um, to dominate others. And that, you know, we have the ability now because we see the playbook of these guys for, you know, the past thousands of years on it's the same tricks over and over again. It's propaganda. It's the money. It's the, you know, false wars and all this other stuff to, to steal wealth and, and, uh, everything that's good from humanity. Um, at the core of all of this is um, it, it's not the bankers, it's not the politicians, it's not the lawyers, it's not the, you know, all these big rich guys on Wall Street that are at the core of our problems. The core of our problems is ourselves. We're enabling these guys every day. Um, every day that you sacrifice part of your soul to work for a paradigm that would seek to enslave others um, by... Uh, having your wealth invested in Wall Street, having invested in paper assets where it empowers and enables um, these thieving parasitic classes um, to manipulate our world. Um, every time that we eat their garbage, poisonous factory food, we're enabling them to create you know, huge profits off of cheap food that gives us new nutrition. And that ultimately leads to, to cancer and disease and all that other stuff that we end up paying even more for. Uh, so, you know, I, I look at all of these things and yes, money is important and, and, and these wars are important, but at the end of the day, it's us. We need to change. And, and this, this idea that I'm trying to put out there is that we cannot, and this is to me an absolute certainty after all the stuff, and trust me, I used to be like this. We cannot change the outside world to make ourselves happy or free. We have to change ourselves to make the world happy and free. And in order for us to change, we have to reach for something better than what we are. Right now, the average American is a narcissistic consumer, shallow living, uh, drone that gets up in the morning, goes to work, pays their dues, comes home depressed, watches TV, spends money, gets fat, uh, and lives this just disgusting lifestyle. Um, and I cannot think that if you're a religious person, um, God put us on earth to live like this. If you're, um, you know, not a religious person, that, you know, this is how we're supposed to live. Um, and yet this is the, the paradigm that we're enabling. So I feel in order for people to become, uh, to extricate themselves from this paradigm, they have to reach a level of total freedom. Um, most people are concerned about their financial freedom. They're always like, you know, how, how do I you know, become so wealthy that I don't have to work or I can go do things? Um, and to me, it's so much more than that. You have to become physically free. You have to become physically healthy. You have to eat better. Um, you have to be uh, emotionally free. You have to be a, a rid of toxic relationships and, and, and uh, you know, all these toxic people that are in your lives and, and that rule us. Um, you need to be, um, you know, and finally, you need to be spiritually free. You need to be, um, you know, have a deeper meaning in life. So 
you know, while all these things I talk about, to me, at the end of the day, um, if individuals were able to live their highest and best life um, and walk away from paradigms that they don't resonate with, that they don't, um, you know, that they don't find any uh, commonality with, um, that to me is the most powerful rebellion and survival instinct that you can have um, by walking away from the paradigm. And it's never going to be about fighting, um, uh, you know, this this paradigm. We need to walk away from it. Um, and there's a quote that I use over and over again. It's from Albert Einstein. You cannot solve a problem with the same consciousness that created the problem. You must see the world anew. And if we see that the, the real problem is our consciousness, um, if you're greedy and you're trying to you know, get ahead in the stock market or you're going to spend extra hours at work and sacrifice time from your family uh, to make more money and sell your soul for that, uh, you're actually enabling that paradigm. You're enabling that narcissistic consumer uh, paradigm. Um, but if we start walking away from the paradigm and maybe buy a little less or buy things that have more value, um, spend more time with uh, friends and family and develop deeper relationships, to me, that's the best use of our time here on Earth. Um, and the more people that do that will provide a, a shining light, uh, much like how a lot of religions are, are, are born, by actually walking a different path. And if you are of the belief that every action has an equal and opposite reaction, Fighting against something will only lead to somebody pushing back. It's a natural human course. If you push me, I push you. Um, but if somebody walks away and walks away happily and walks away peacefully um, and is able to live a life that's higher and better than, than what they were before, you're going to attract people to that. And they're going to go, wow, what has this guy got going on? Maybe I should follow, see what he's up to. Um, and that's how societies can be changed for the good um, as opposed to just you know devolving down to this um, you know, lowest common denominator that we, we seem to be moving towards. Completely, completely agreed. Very well said. Um, you got me thinking there, hence the pause. <laughs> um, you've also uh, mentioned a couple times here, we were just talking about the Greatest Truth series, but you've also mentioned something called the Sons of Liberty Academy. Mm -hmm. Exactly what is that? It makes me think of, uh, you know, Sam Adams. And, yeah. Times, well, I'm right? glad that you related to that because I found that uh, since I've done that, uh, not everybody has this kind of glowy, yummy feel about the the founding fathers. But um, I, I basically have to start off with um, when my when I found out I was going to be a father, that was the first time I started taking my life seriously. Um, and while most people don't change their ways uh, until they hit rock bottom, you know, you think of the alcoholic who hits rock bottom and says, "Okay, I'm I'm done drinking." Um, I actually woke up and changed my life when things were actually really good. Um, I came from a very wealthy family. I was very wealthy at uh, 32 years old when I was discovering I was going to be a father. Um, and I started questioning, you know, what am I doing? Where, where am I at? Why, you know, where are we going? You know, I have a new uh, daughter that's going to be brought into this uh, earth, and I'm going to be responsible for her. So it was the first time I actually started investigating what we were. And and why things the way way they were um, back when things were really good, and that led me to this huge amount of research. And and uh, the the first big aha moment was I realized why I was so wealthy. Um, so I came from a car dealer family, and we you know very wealthy family, especially in New Jersey. I mean it's a very wealthy area, and to be a car dealer in that it was a great time. Um, but I realized the reason why my family was so wealthy is because when I realized that our money was based off of debt, and when debt is created, money is created, and when debt is paid off, uh, money is destroyed, I realized the reason why we were making so much money is because we were creating a ton of debt. I mean, everybody that buys a car, they don't pay cash for it. They pay 
you know, a 30, you know, a six year loan or a five year loan and, and, and create $30,000 worth of uh, money out of thin air. And we had first shot at it. Um, so I realized, wow, all the wealth that I had is from basically enslaving others into debt. And yes, they're doing it willingly. And yes, I'm facilitating, but this doesn't resonate with me. Um, and that was a, at the exact same time that I realized, wow, this is a housing bubble because the reason why the economy is cooking so much and everything seems to be so well is because people are taking million-dollar mortgages out and they don't even have a job. Of course the economy is going to do well. Um, so that, enabled, that gave me the courage to sell my house to the top of the housing bubble when everybody else thought I was insane, especially with a child coming along the way, um, and then invest that into to silver. So I spent the next two years reading over 240 books and spending thousands of hours on the Internet trying to piece together all these pieces. And while I started off you know, understanding that the dollar was dead and that the Federal Reserve is privately owned bank and it's a rigged game and that it's eventually going to blow up, um, it took me down all these different paths, um, you know, uh, false flag wars, uh, health, cancer, um, you know, psychology, uh, mass manipulation, all these different things. And I was like, wow, uh, this is amazing. This is a truly incredible information. Here I was, a college grad, you know, multimillionaire car dealer, Marine. Uh, you know, I thought I had my shit together and, and oh, I'm sorry, I thought I had my stuff together and, um, you know, I, I there's no FCC here, dude. You don't have to apologize. Okay. Um, so I thought I had everything together, and uh, I realized how how much I didn't know about the world. Um, so that led me down the you know the road of depression and you know trying to wake everybody up. And I realized that that didn't work. And uh, I really set together on how to um, as much time as I spent learning this stuff. I spent the last couple of years trying to communicate this stuff to everybody because I realized the best information out there is worthless unless people understand it and get it. So my first attempt at quantifying what I had discovered was the Sons of Liberty Academy. And what the Sons of Liberty was back in uh, the Revolutionary War, it was all these patriots who put together the intellectual foundation years before the shot was fired. <clears throat> years before the first shot was fired in the Revolutionary War, so that that people understood why we were fighting and what we were fighting for. Uh, so I put together all this information in the Sons of Liberty Academy, um, 48 hours of video lessons, folks. And I'm telling you, there isn't one minute of fluff in there. Every minute, every 10 minutes is just you know mental fireworks of aha moments because it's the culmination of years worth of um, you know all this research and information. And most importantly, it was put in a way that I wish I had learned it. You know, here I was poking around the dark and finding this and finding that, and never putting two and two together. Um, but after I saw this clear picture, I said, "Here, here's the storyline of how the world works, and you know where we should start and where we should end." Um, so I put together 48 hours worth of these video lessons, and this took a tremendous amount of time, energy, and money. Um, and I realized that the best way of getting this information out there was to give it away for free. So that's what I did. I I, I quit my job. And gave away my life's work for free uh, because I believe so passionately in this stuff. And while the uh, success of the academy was pretty, you know, I thought it was pretty cool. I had like, you know, a thousand people in a couple months going through it. And everybody was like, man, this is life-changing stuff. I had a military contractor in Afghanistan who quit his job um, because he realized the role that he was playing in enabling this paradigm. And he walked away from it. Um, you know, and, and, and wrote me and said, man, you saved my life. You saved my soul. I don't, I don't even know what to tell you. So I was like, wow, that, that's really cool. But I realized that there was a lot of, um, 
a lot of uh, you know things that could be improved upon the academy, namely its format. Um, it's a big PowerPoint presentation of me talking over it. Um, I developed it at three o'clock in the morning while I was working in another job, so it's the recording's not as uh, you know professional. And um, the videos that I did were huge videos. I mean, one of them is I think eight and a half hours long. Well, how many people are going to sit through and watch eight and a half hours worth of, of information, no matter how good it is? Um, so I started to take the information that I had in the Sons of Liberty Academy and break it down into small individual sound bites because that's what America has devolved down to is a soundbite culture and started creating YouTube videos. And I've been in the process of recreating everything that I put in the Sons of Liberty Academy plus about another two years worth of, you know, ahas in my mind on how to best communicate this stuff and, uh, started with this greatest truth never told series on YouTube. And I've had it up. The channel's been in existence for six months. I've actively been working on it for three months. And I think we're at 1.6 million views um, on the series. And, uh, you know, every time I put one out, we, we just seem to really pick up more subscribers and viewers, so much so that um, there's channels out there that have been around for five or six years um, that have less viewers, subscribers than than we do. Uh, and we're, I mean, just this past week, we added 1,500 new subscribers to our channel. So things are starting to cook and people are putting pieces together. And this is how the world is going to change um, through this information starting to seep into uh, people's minds and then the people taking real action. Absolutely. Um, I, uh, I, was, I was looking at your site and another term that I, I saw you use was generational wealth. Mm-hmm. I find that very intriguing. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, and um, generational wealth has two meanings to, in my mind. Um, I think for the typical silver investor who looks at this, they go, wow, you know, how much wealth is going to be created by owning something um, that is so undervalued um, prior towards the largest paradigm shift in the world, prior to the largest wealth transfer in the world, and that um, – People need to to look at silver in terms of uh, other ways other than the dollar. So I, I mentioned the gold to silver ratio before, um, but I think a, an even more powerful way of looking at physical silver and understanding its value and how undervalued it is, is that throughout all of history, in two-thirds of the world today, 12 hours of hard human labor is equivalent to one-tenth of an ounce of silver. So I, I back that up by saying, you know, back during the Roman times, the average Roman soldier was paid one denarius for every day they served the Roman legion. And, you know, we all know implicitly that these guys lived a very harsh lifestyle. I mean, doing hand-to-hand combat and fighting barbarians and doing all sorts of stuff. Um, but they were paid one denarius for every day that they worked. Well, if you know, look at throughout history, um, a denarius is nothing more than a silver dime. It was a tenth of an ounce of silver. Um, you know, with Roman, you know, emperors on the front of it. So when you realize that the Roman soldier got paid that and the average, you know, field worker got paid that, um, <clears throat> the monetary equivalent of that tenth of an ounce of silver is 12 hours of hard human labor. But then I go even further than that. I said the average factory worker at the turn of the century in the 1900s was paid a dime for every day that they worked. And, you know, we, we've seen movies like Far and Away with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. You know, they came to the United States and they got jobs, you know, plucking feathers off of chickens in these sweaty factories and, you know, all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, they say in the, in there that they make a dime a day. 
Um, so when you understand that that constitutional silver meant a tenth of an ounce of silver in that dime, um, you start seeing that. But then I also say, hey, listen, we've all heard that two-thirds of the world today lives off of less than $2 a day. Well, with silver at you know 30-some-odd dollars uh, an ounce, you know, a tenth of an ounce of silver is about $2 a day. Um, so when I try to tell people, I say, think about what the average American could go out and buy a mercury dime or you know, a pre-1960 for a 90% silver dime for about $2.50. Would you work 12 hours of hard human labor for $2.50? No, no one would. But that shows you how undervalued it is. So people look at generational wealth by saying, hey, every ounce of silver I own represents 10 days of hard human labor in this next paradigm because I don't know what else humanity is going to value something after all value systems get blown up by the mathematically inevitable collapse of the dollar and all paper assets and all other currencies in the world. At some point, humanity is going to have to grasp onto um, real tangible value. And things that do have value, like silver and ammunition and food and all this other type stuff, uh, will be tremendously, uh, you know, revalued upwardly. But to me, um, in in all the work that I'm doing, generational wealth doesn't stop there because, um, you know, the the significance of an average American being able to buy a thousand ounces of physical silver, um, you know, for for less than half of the savings of a um, you know, the average baby boomer in their retirement. I mean, for $35,000, uh, you know, the, the price of your car, you know, college education, uh, you know, people's IRAs and 401ks, you can buy a thousand ounces of silver. Well, think about how historically significant it is for an average person to buy 10,000 days of hard human labor stored up. I mean, I've looked at kings of England that did not have a thousand ounces of silver and that England had to rely upon tally sticks for 700 years. Uh, you know, chipped pieces of wood uh, as their currency there because there wasn't enough silver there. So I think that, yeah, that's generational wealth to have that kind of historically significant amount of wealth in, in one's possession. But to me, the real generational wealth is the change of attitude, the change of perception, the knowledge that we can start passing on. Because I tell you what, folks, the knowledge that you and I and, and, and all of our audience is learning now, I wish I knew this when I was younger. Well, our children are going to know this. They're going to know about debt and war and real wealth and, and things of higher nature and, and, and living your highest and best self. And to me, that is the real generational wealth of being able to transfer this energy, uh, transfer all this information and knowledge onto another generation that's going to live and not know the kind of life that we've lived and that they can create their own paradigm uh, and that we can be a blessing onto the next generation as opposed to leaving them with debt. Completely agree, and I mean, to put it in perspective, if I could send anybody listening right now back to the 1980s and you could buy silver for four and a quarter an ounce, how much would you buy? Oh, God. I mean, <laughs> it almost makes you sad to think about that. Yeah, and and it, it, I mean, when I got involved, it was selling for $7 in 2005, yep. um, and folks, I'm telling you, even at $32, $35, I'll, I'll give you another example, and this is all in the Silver Bullet and the Silver Shield series. Um, so we all remember, you know, the, the Hunt brothers, quote unquote, cornering the silver market um, back in the 1980s. Um, silver reached a peak of $50 an ounce then. Okay. Now I'll I can I explain in the Silver Bolt and the Silver Shield that the Hunt brothers weren't necessarily responsible for that peak. Um, that gold, which they had nothing to do with, uh, went up just as much as silver did during that time period, um, and it had much more to do with. Um, you know, Russia invading Afghanistan, the, the, 
um, you know, the Iranians capturing, uh, you know, the, the, the embassy, um, all the, the inflationary problems that we had with Carter and the oil shocks and all that other stuff. But silver reached a, 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 a peak of $50 in 1980. Well, we all know that $50 in 1980 is worth a ton more than it is now. Um, in fact, if we used the government's rigged inflation numbers, meaning that they, they artificially lower uh, the inflation numbers so they don't have to pay higher COLA benefits and Social Security benefits, that they underreport inflation, even if we use the government's rigged numbers, in order for silver to get back to its inflation-adjusted high of 1980, silver right now would have to be at $132 an ounce. Okay, So silver would have to go up 400% from today just to get back to where it was in 1980. Okay, but if you look at gold, gold back in 1980 during the exact same time period reached $850. That was as high back in 1980. Well, where are we today, folks? We're double that. So in real double terms, bucks. yeah, in real terms, silver would not only have to go to um, $130 an ounce; it would probably have to go to $250 an ounce. Um, and I'll make a, a stronger case if you use the inflation um, shadow stats, which actually uses real inflation-adjusted numbers, um, that price would actually have to go back up to $500 an ounce because there's about 10 times the amount of currency in circulation, meaning that the dollar has lost almost 90% of its value since 1980, um, that we have to get to $500 an ounce. And then, and then you start thinking, well, gee, there's a lot more debt and that there's $143 trillion of unfunded liabilities and that we have these trillion-dollar wars and stuff and that the dollar is mathematically going to collapse. It doesn't matter what the dollar value is going to be. All, it, all I can tell you is that at some point, it's not a matter of at what price you bought. It's the fact that you did buy. Uh, you want to tell folks how they can uh, get more information on you, your websites, and, of course, I'll include links in the show sure, notes. Sure, um, the main site that I work off of is um, don't-tread-on.me, um, and that's a uh, main blog. We have, I think, 40 contributors that um, you know post articles and, and uh, unique work. There's a lot of unique stuff that you won't find on any other website. Um, I also have thegreatesttruthnevertold.com, uh, which is the main site for all the YouTube videos that I put out there. I highly recommend people joining our free mailing list, which is on both of those sites. Uh, we put out a weekly uh, newsletter, you know, you know, free content, kind of get more behind-the-scenes stuff, so that's very important. Um, you can go to Truth Never Told on YouTube, which is my channel there. Uh, and then the final one is the um, just sonsoflibertyacademy.com. It's all one word. Um, and you can join for free. Uh, you, there's a little, you know, put your email on there. And you can hit the free Gandhi link um, to get full access to the Academy. And again, it's 48 hours of video lessons for free. Uh, if you like what I do and want to donate and support, please do that. Um, and then the final thing that I'm involved in is called the Silver Shield Report. Um, and that's for those, uh, you know, more advanced people who are, you know, get what's going on and really want to start shaping uh, the intellectual foundation for the next paradigm. Um, so if you want to get involved in that, that's um, you know you can join on the don't dash tread dash on dot me site. Awesome! And again, folks, I'll have links to uh, all of those sites along with stuff like uh, Chris's YouTube channel uh, in the show notes for today. Chris, I'd like to thank you for the work you're doing and for joining us today on the Survival Podcast. Yeah, I I I, I want to give you a lot of credit. This is one of the most professional interviews that I've had, and uh, uh, I, I give you a lot of credit. And I hope that we can uh, do this again in the future sometime. 
Well, I think that you're going to resonate well with the audience because you're talking about a lot of the things that we've been talking about now for almost four years, and specifically the values and principles that bind people together. Money is a means by which commerce occurs. Principles and values are a means by which society sticks together. Uh, so thank you for bringing those two things together. Beautifully said. All right, folks, with that, this has been Jack Spierko today, along with Chris Dwayne, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough. Or even if they don't. Seen our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way You don't have to be another face in the crowd Revolution is you.